0: Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Andy C., Stephen W., at Eric 101, Alan B., Luke O., and Ken D. Returning to the show today is George Glazier. George is president and CEO of Western Uranium and Vanadium, a U.S.-focused project developer and explorer with his core Sunday mine project in Colorado. The company is listed on the Canadian Securities Exchange under the symbol WUC and also on the U.S. OTC markets under the symbol WSTRF. Mr. Glazier, welcome back to the show. And do you have your favorite beverage in hand, sir? I
1: sure do. Thank you.
0: Well, George, it's been a while since we've chatted. It's been over a year. Why don't you give us your take on the current uranium market here?
1: Okay, well, as everybody who follows the market kind of knows, the uranium prices have recovered a little bit because of the pandemic and the shutdown of various mines around the world. We're still at a price that probably doesn't justify much new production, But if you take a look at all the analysts that you know cover the sector and look at the supply demand, clearly we're going to be in a deficit when it comes to supply within in the next year or two. Now, that's going to lead, it has to lead to higher uranium prices. Or you won't get the production needed to cover that supply. So I think even though the spot uranium price hasn't skyrocketed yet, it certainly, we expect it to do that simply because there will not be a supply unless the price goes up. And that's just not my opinion. That's the opinion of most of the analysts that follow this market. So we're very bullish on what's going to happen in the uranium market in the next two years and of course what's going to happen to the companies that are in the business i think they all place to do well as the uranium prices increase
0: well george let's get into western here how about you just update us because it's been a while current capital structure including the shares outstanding cash on hand and the major shareholders at this point
1: well, as you know from our press releases, we just finished a capital raise of 5 million Canadian. Uh, we had warrants come in that were in the money, well, in the money for another 2 million Canadian. Uh, outstanding shares are about 40 billion uh, right now. And our cash uh, is about uh, 7 million Canadian. So that cash we just received, virtually we had cash coming into the raise, and you know, cash coming in. You know, so we didn't. Really spend any of it, but we have about seven million in cash, so we're in the best financial condition the company's ever been in since the founding a few years ago and going public. Now that we've got cash in the bank, we've got plans to do a number of things, but that's that's where we are cash-wise and uh, share outstanding. We're still pretty tight. Shareholding. I'm still the largest shareholder with around five million shares. Each time we do a raise, I dilute it a little bit. Uh, I was going to participate in the last raise, and we were basically oversubscribed, and there was no room for basically myself to come in. I, I certainly support the company, and I think it's a great investment.
0: And, George, yeah, your ownership's uh, somewhere in the 15% range, roughly, uh, last I checked anyway. What price do you have your shares at this point?
1: The price of my shares? Well, again, they're just you know based on pounder shares. Uh, I've not sold anything the original shares that we issued to the founders for putting in the properties. price of my shares basically are related to market, not cost.
0: Well, George, let's move on here to the Sunday project here. With the capital and the bank, what can investors expect to be accomplished by the end of this year at this project? What is the plan? again, we were we were kind of shut down by the virus.
1: COVID, as you know, we were in operations in February uh, 2020, building more pads uh, to remove the ore that we had already mined from Sunday Complex, and COVID hit. And obviously, in Colorado, there were orders for most companies to shut down, and to social distance, Well, mining is a difficult thing to social distance because miners are in close contact. So we did shut down, we suspended all operations. And now that COVID is, I'm not saying it's over, but it's pretty much under control, especially in Western Colorado. We are preparing the next step with the Sunday mine and that would be to reopen the mine and continue the work that we were doing back in early 2020 and late 19. As you know, the four mines are fully permitted uh, they're in, they are in. produced ore, we left it in the mines until the ore pads were built. So we expect during the rest of this year, we will start operations again at the Sunday mine and do the same things we were doing. We'll mine ore, we'll develop new areas of the mine so we can expand production. When that uranium price goes up, ore production is going to be in great demand, there's no doubt about it, because you get the price, the production is is basically feasible at. There won't be enough production for a number of years because even though there's a lot of resources in the world, they're not production ready. If you take a look at the Sunday complex, it's one of the few mines that's in standby that could be in production within a month. There just aren't other facilities like that. Uh, Most of these facilities are not permitted at the other uh, deposits, no permits and no development, no infrastructure. So our mines, we believe, will be in great demand to fill that first round of contracting when it comes out, when the price goes up. And that's kind of what we're planning for the Sunday complex, not a great detail. We'll be putting out more information as the details are available as to when we're able to start it. Obviously, it won't take long. Uh, We're already talking to, you know, lining up, the necessary people to do that, and they're available. Uh, it's not a, a lack of people. people are waiting to go back to work in our area. So we think it'll be a fairly easy startup, and we'll make some announcement of that uh, once
0: we basically finalize the startup plans. George, I appreciate that. So basically, in Colorado, instead of you know coming in and implementing protocols, et cetera, the time frame post may, June, twenty twenty, no protocols were put in place, and you guys just decided to hang it up. Is that right? That's right.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's protocols for mines. You know, obviously, are, are distancing, and in the mines where the workers are very closely you know, it's hard to stay six feet apart. It's hard to, you know, they do wear, you know, dust control, but you know, it's not, it's not mask like you know, protocol calls. So it would have been difficult to make those you know, calls, and again. There was probably no reason to keep operating. We were, again, waiting for the price to go up. We saw it go up a little bit because of COVID. But I think now we can anticipate the price increase not too far off. It'll make these mines totally economic. So you know, the shutdown and the period of time we shut down because of COVID probably didn't hurt us. Uh, It might have even said, okay, we're delaying until the price. And again, if you take a look at our capital structure and the cash, We didn't have a great deal of cash. When we opened the mine, and of course this is in our financials, we opened the mine, we spent well over a million dollars in that period that we were open. And then again, we were set to do a capital raise, but it it delayed the capital raise, obviously, uh, because we didn't need the cash, because we basically shut down. So that was probably good also for the situation
0: our capital and our cash. George, ideas have been thrown around, but uh, do you have any definitive plans at this point or maybe one method over the other as far as processing material coming out of Sunday? What's your thoughts and what's the update on those decisions?
1: Well, processing the obviously, the lightness of Mill energy fields, Light and Mill is, is the only operating mill today. And we believe that, obviously, that's a great mill. It's got great capacity. One thing they don't have, they don't have the capacity to fill it with their own ore. So we believe Energy Fuels, when the price is right, will turn that mill on and accept ore from all kinds of independents that are able to produce and deliver into that mill. So obviously, you know, we don't have a contract, they're not opening the mill yet. But when that happens, Energy Fuels is the logical candidate to process ore from this whole area. And of course, when Denison was operating, Back in, you know, the mill back in 2009, 2010, a good part of the feed for that mill came from the Sunday Mine Complex, which they owned at that time. So it only makes sense that energy fuel would be the logical place to process the ore. If that doesn't happen, obviously, you know, if they don't start the mill, or unable or unwilling to take independent ore, then there's other options like building a new mill. That's not impossible. I always tell people a mill is just a piece of iron. Uh, it's like building anything, an automobile. But building an automobile without fuel is worthless; doesn't go anywhere. Having a mill without resource, you know, to feed it is worthless also. So again, I think the key is we've got the ore, they've got the mill, and it should come together on a mutually, you know, beneficial arrangement, which we think it will uh, when the price of uranium and when. Uh, you know, energy fuels is ready to start that mill. That's why we're prepared to, to spend some money, uh, start up the mine, and get it ready for full production. So it's one of the sources that could be shipping this ore to the mill to feed the needs. And obviously, when the contracting starts, when the utilities start to issue these long term contracts, they're going to want to see where the production's going to come from. You can see you got them six million pounds of milk capacity, but they want to know if you've got six million pounds of ore capacity. So that's going to be the key. If they want these contracts, and, and you know, we've seen it before, once the price goes up and the, the contracts are issued, there's enough production in the world, or there will be enough to fill those contracts, and then the price could go back down. But again, you've got to be in a position to take those contracts when that price goes up. We saw it the last go-around when the price went up and you could have gotten contracts at $80. Most companies didn't thought I was going higher, and then the price dropped. So I think this time around, I think companies are a little smarter. They will grab those high price contracts, those term contracts, but they've got to show the capability of producing into those contracts.
0: Yeah, well said. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the plan A goes with you and Mark sitting down and discussing you know, terms there. Obviously, price will be a big important deal on any kind of toll agreement. And then also at Sunday Plan B. If you were to do a small mill, George, what do you think the complexities are going to be to permit something like that at Sunday? Well, you wouldn't you wouldn't do it after the Sunday.
1: You would you would pick a site. You know, and quite frankly, I've told my investors it wouldn't be in Colorado. We we already did that. Uh, the state did not support us even after they issued the license. You know, on a technicality, they revoked the license. Uh, Colorado would not be my choice. I would go to Utah. Uh, Sunny Mine is not far from Utah. You could easily hold to Utah. And Utah is a more friendly state uh, for mining and, and that kind of development. We've already looked at sites there. There's a number of sites, good sites that have water, have power. Uh, Obviously, it has to go through the permitting, uh, and that takes time. But it's not impossible. Building a mill is just simply time and money, and it can be done. And if it needs to be done, because there's not access to another mill, it will be done. If the price goes high enough, there's enough other, you know, producers in this in this business in this area that could combine their. If they lack assets to build a new mill. now Energy fuel says that's not necessary. They've got full capacity. Well, if they open the capacity to everybody, that'll be fine. But if they don't, then the others will be forced to take the next step, uh, and that'll be to move into the, the phase of the first permitting
0: for a new mill, probably in Utah. Very well. Utah's a smart choice, uh, George. There also, there's been some chatter regarding a second production source. Um, What are the details on that, and is this anticipated at Sunday Complex or elsewhere?
1: Well, no. We've got another complex with a technical report on it. It's called the San Rafael Project. It's up by Green River, Utah. It's a a very good uh, area. It's been mined in the past. And we're starting on the, the permitting. It's not permitted. There's some development in the area, some old mines, whether we use those for access or whether we do new access. We're in the process now of engineering how we would mine that, that deposit. Now that's, you know, that's several years away from where we could actually start. But if you don't start, you never get there. And that's the an interesting thing. We hear a lot of people doing drilling, but hardly anybody's doing any permitting on any new mines. And so this is the next step that we're in. And the, the initial planning, once we got this cash in place, to use some of that cash to take that po- project forward. So that could be an excellent project. It could be fed to white mason mill or a new mill in that area. So that's the next project, and you can take a look at the technical report on that. Uh, they're drilled out pounds. It's very good grade, and it's in a friendly area. It's in the area of Green River, Utah. So that would be the project that we're primarily talking about for our next production area. Now, this within the Sunday mine. We're going to develop new production areas that have never been developed. In fact, when Denison actually was operating mine, they were, just before they shut it down, in the process of developing new areas that had never even been mined before. with new resources that had never been reported. So the Sunday mine will not be the second production center, but it will be an increased production center because of an increased area that we could
0: mine out of. On Sunday... What uranium price level should investors expect for you to, you know, start operations up at Sunday, get to a continuous operation? I assume no further action there will really be taken until, of course, the, uh, the right price is reached. Is that correct?
1: Well, I, I think we're, as I said earlier in this interview, we intend to do some activity at the Sunday line starting fairly soon, even though the price may not be where we'd like it to be. We're doing it in anticipation. Because when that price goes up, you know, we don't want we want to be able to go into full production and and maximize the production coming out of that mine. And if, if you wait until the price goes up, then you've got that delay. So we're going to anticipate within a year the price will be where we want it to be. But during that first year, there'll be limited operations at the Sunday Mine, being ready for that that price increase. And so we're basically at. You know, capacity or potential full capacity of mining. So that's, you know, and again, where that price is depends on, obviously, when and if energy fuel starts that mill, because, you know, we've got plenty of ore, but we've got to have a way to turn that into cash, and that's through a mill. And again, we'll have to see if the price is moving up fast enough for energy fuels to decide to turn that mill on. And if they turn the mill on, they're going to need milk to. And that's really what drives the continue operation. But I think in, the, in this near term, we're going to start on a limited basis. We're not going to have the full crews in there, but we're going to have crews in there. When we turn on full scale, then we need to hire a lot more people, obviously, because that will go into full scale mining. And that's when the price has to be higher. And I can't tell you exactly where that is, but it's more triggered by energy fuel starting the mill these are costs. If you look at the current price of uranium and vanadium, vanadium is about $8 a pound, even at $30 uranium, Sunday mine complex, going through the White Mason Mill could make a little bit of money. Uh, Not a lot, but it could make some, but
0: again, it means the mill has to be open, and it's not. George, how much tonnage do you expect to have on standby at the pad, ready to ship out? Well, the pads are of limited size, so that's going to, you know,
1: limit how much we can stockpile. The idea with the pads is you stockpile and then you shift from the pads to the middle. So we're going to be able to stockpile both inside the mine and at the, at the outside on the pads, but not huge quantities. You're not going to put 100,000 tons on those pads because they're not big enough. Uh, you can build a lot bigger pads, but the idea... If you go from the mine to the pad, the pad to the truck, and then to the mill. So our first operations, will not put huge quantities on the pad, but we'll be ready to do it as soon as we're ready to ship off-site.
0: Understood. And, George, on the contracting side, you mentioned that. The long-term contracts, do you plan to obtain uh, term contracts and off-takes, or do you plan to deal direct with potentially just a trader for volumes coming out of Sunday? Well, we wouldn't drive, count on the traders. What we would probably do, obviously, there's two routes if
1: energy fuels take it, either buy or ore and they contract with the utility or they give us a tolling agreement. And we're up for either one of those things. So they could very well do all the marketing. Uh, through, you know, their are strengthened. We've got a good marketing team. We've got the mill. And so there's no really reason for us to go out and get contracts. If we get a tolling agreement, then we'll get contracts. But until we get down to the detailed discussions of how and the best economics for both parties, we won't be contracting yet. Simply because we wouldn't have the final product until it goes through the mill. We would use either our shop as a contracting agent or
0: two energy fuels. We wouldn't necessarily use a trader. Right. Yeah, it obviously might be much easier if it just uh, energy fuels took possession of the material there and took care of it, whichever way they deem, once they receive it. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how you uh, handle that one. You have some options. Let's talk another important project for the company, at least in my view, the Hanson-Taylor Ranch Project. What are you doing here to advance uh, studies on this project, permitting for the project? My suspicion is the permitting component will likely be the longest lead time and the biggest hurdle for this to become a real meaningful asset to the company. What are you doing on this front at Hanson Taylor?
1: Well, again, the original plan before we bought Black Range, and they had come up with their mining plan to use the ablation technology uh, to mine that project, borehole mining, ablate it, and then ship it off to an outside mill. Well. You know, with the delays in, and, and what you know, has been determined, what we now have to do uh, to permit ablation at a site, that makes it a little bit more complex. It's almost like building a mill. So, again, we're in the stages now of, of just waiting to see if anything happens. And there is a movement afoot, you know, in Congress to declare that ablation is not a mining process or not a milling process, it's a mining process. And again, it's just a long road to do that, but if that happens, ablation could be used and that could be the preferred mining method. The other mining method that wouldn't certainly work at Hanson Taylor is in-situ recovery. And we've considered that, but we haven't started permitting either one until we decide, obviously, if ablation will be permittable on some reasonable basis, that's the best way to do it. The secondary way to do it is mining a in situ, which is not impossible. It just takes time and the background studies. But that is a potential in-situ project, a good one because the ore is so thick. It's far thicker than most of the other uh, in-situ projects in the United States. And it's a good grade. and It meets the conditions of in-situ mining. Uh, again, permitting it will be the issue, but I don't think it'd be impossible to permit it, but it would take time. So the Hanson-Taylor is just down the road. It's certainly a good asset, but it's not one that we're counting on for near-term cash flows. Once cash flows start to come into the company, obviously, then you start spending it on those longer-term projects like the Hanson-Taylor.
0: George, would it make any sense, given the ablation, probably a little bit more challenging and complex at this point? Would it be easier just to go ahead and, and head down the road of ISR at this point and at least get some of that initial lower cost, in my view, studies done and the permitting process started? Because I suspect in Colorado that's going to take at least a few years to get that thing uh, permitted at a minimum. Right. And,
1: and again, uh, it all takes money, and so we've got a certain amount of capital now, a certain amount of cash, which we're going to put into a couple things as we – progress with these, you know, kind of first projects. And the next would be to allocate cash to the permitting of a Hanson Taylor. But again, we don't have unlimited cash, so we have to proceed on the projects probably make the most sense early on, which is a Sunday mine, the San Rafael, and then move into that. And again, if we wanted to go out and raise another, you know, Sum of money, maybe we should do it. And maybe it's not very diluted to our shareholders, not at our current share price. But again, that's one thing we're looking at, and maybe that's what we should do, and then have enough cash to move into the Hanson Taylor project. But again, it's shareholders are always saying, don't raise money unless you've got a real good reason for it. We don't want to be diluted. So again, I think that makes sense. But to look at our share price, versus our last raise, it might make sense in the next, you know, few months to consider doing another capital raise to do the next things. And again, we haven't really announced what we're spending this seven million for yet. These are, you know, just on this interview is the first time I've really had any interview uh, since PDAC of twenty twenty. Now that's been a long time since we we've, we've had a few little press releases. But we haven't announced anything, so as we announce things, people will understand what we plan to do with our existing cash and then what additional cash we might need to expand beyond
0: the current plans for the next year and a half. Understood. Depending, I guess, on how you permit it, whether you do it in-house or you have a group of consultants work on that, Colorado, to my knowledge, is not an agreement state, so... Most likely that lead time for permitting out there is going to be at least two to three years, George. Is that about right? You know the permitting in Colorado much more than I do. What's the time frame?
1: Yeah. Uh, for for an institute situ permit, yeah, I'd say two to three years. And obviously we'd use a lot of outside consultants. There's no reason to, you know, have gear up and do it all in-house. Some of it could be done in-house. But any kind of big permitting process would be, you know, best handled by individual outside experts uh, that have done it before. And so, yeah, but you're looking at two to three years for a I think, for that project. From the time to start, you know, there's been some background data collected, obviously on that, there's monitor wells in there. Uh, there's some information from the past, obviously. Uh, it was permitted as an open-pit mine, back that from the 70s. And now that uh, data is added, you know, it's uh, not current. But it's it's a database that we have, so we're not starting from scratch on that project. So but I think two to three years from the time we say go on is probably realistic.
0: The company has made mention of its Boland property, which is subject to oil and gas exploration. The company has stated that the interest in this property is not material yet. It has been the topic of press releases and also within now within company presentations. What is the arrangement with Mallard exploration, George? If the wells on your interest are completed, assuming production levels are similar to regional operations, what would be a ballpark royalty income on an annual basis for that?
1: Well, you know, again, this is we've said it's not a material asset. We don't know what the royalty stream will be. You know, their production levels could come and go. It depends on the price of oil. And again, they're drilling wells. They've had the first ones in. They're going to drill more. But again, it's it's really hard for us to estimate what our royalty stream will be. And that's why we're not saying this is a major asset. Certainly, there could be cash flows coming from it. And outsiders have estimated what they think maybe our stream would be. But we're not we're really not in a position. We're not an oil and gas company. We've had that asset, it's just a passive asset. It will be a, a cash flow at some point. But to tell you what the royalty stream would be, I don't know. And we have not hired independent experts to tell us at this point, because until they finish their initial drilling program and do the fracking on those wells and decide to put them into production, you know, it's all speculative. You know, again, right now, they've got to do some pipelines, not, not major pipelines. We've granted an easement across our property for a pipeline, but that has not yet been built. So any production out of that new area is going to have to be trucks. So, again, there's there's a number of things that these oil and gas companies need to do to get into full production. And, you know, they certainly can truck it, but it would be far better to build that net. Pipeline it is not an extensive uh, pipeline, but it needs to be built to get into full production. And uh, these are the little things that we talk to them about, but they they haven't committed as to when they're going to do any of this, uh, even production. They may drill these wells and shut them in, and if the price of oil drops back down to thirty or forty dollars, you know, at sixty or sixty-five, it's probably feasible. But you know, it's not in our control how much they produce and when they produce it. Cash flow, our royalties is based on production. So it's a good asset, but I don't want shareholders to think this thing's going to drive the value of our company. What's going to drive the value of Western is the uranium, vanadium values that come out of our, our mineral assets there. And any oil and gas royalties we get is just a plus. And I know there's speculation that it could be substantial, but I don't want to represent that to the investors that have this. What they should be investing in Western for, it's certainly going to be a good asset, but it's not our prime asset, it never has been. But look at our uranium, vanadium assets,
0: and that's what the value of this company should be based on. George, are there any other oil and gas companies in that region that are operating right now? Well, Well County
1: has produced oil and gas for 40 years. You know, it's 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 not big production wells. Uh, they're constant producers; they produce for a long time, and now, with the fracking technology that they're, they're using up there, they're going to be able to increase production from other areas but again, well County has been a big production area in Colorado for a long, long time, and this is just an extension of the areas that they've been producing so there are a number of companies up there that are producing, and so they're just kind of expanding that out uh beyond where the first production was so I would expect you know the, the resources there and the cost of production and you know, obviously when you put more money into the deeper and fracted wells it cost more but again I think with the price of oil at you know 60 or 65 or whatever it is it probably justifies those more expensive wells that well county has been producing for years and years uh, you know and it comes and goes with the price of oil.
0: George, for investors who want to follow this, I mean, I would suggest they would look at some of these news releases that you guys have put out specifically about the interest and the royalty numbers. My suspicion is they should just look to contact Mallard Exploration directly and have a conversation with them about what a reasonable production level would be out there. And then they can make some assumptions on when, if this even happens. There seems to be a while there before there could be some potential. But uh, is there a contact at Mallard Exploration that they can reach out to?
1: Well, and again, I'm not sure Mallard is willing to give out a lot of information. We've contacted them. They're certainly willing to talk to us as a royalty owner. But they're a little bit uh, closed mouth about what they're going to do, obviously. you know, They're one of the producers in that area, and they've got competition. And oil companies, technically, you know, they, they don't have to release all the data, even though they may be public. A lot of this information is very confidential, what they hit, their techniques, and things like that. I'm not sure how much they're willing to tell people or commit as to when production would be and how much production. You know, Mallard could even be in a position that they developed these wells and sell them to a bigger operator. And again, so, again, I'm not sure how much information anybody could get from Mallard. We, we do periodically talk to them, and we get reports on what they're doing, but they will not basically give us estimates and things like that yet. And again, they're not obligated under our lease. They don't have to
0: do it. So they're just not doing it. Yeah. And I believe they're a private company, but, uh, Look, folks who have interest, I don't see the importance of this, but uh, I really don't care either. But the bottom line of it is, if you want to track it down, you can look at comparable companies in the area. You can look at other mm-hmm. wells' historic production. There's sure. information out there, and you can kind of sort yeah, out yeah, roughly you can get that. Yeah. some sensitivities yeah. on oil and that's price. What, and that's what some of our investors have already done. I understand. So
1: and they know far more about it than we do. I, I don't want to do a lot of research and represent something to the market that I'm really not, you know that knowledgeable guy. die. It's an asset. Uh, we've leased it. It's in, in an operator's you know, hands right now. Uh, but again, that's fine. And investors want to inquire into it and speculate on the value, and it's fine. But we as the company will do
0: that. Yeah, we'll leave it to them to get that sorted out, George. I think that the dollars of this uh, are in what you guys are doing and your guys' ability to actually execute and deliver not a little oil and gas royalties on a little bit of uh, property. So, Well, George, mergers and acquisitions, any plans on this front? Any thoughts on M&A in this sector?
1: Well, we're always looking at opportunity, obviously. We've been looking over the last few years. And again, I think one of the biggest problems of any merger or acquisition has been the low valuations of companies or assets. Nobody was willing to do anything at low valuations. Uh, That's been a problem. You go in and somebody's got a good property you're interested in picking up, and and what you could justify in today's market isn't what they want. So it's been been rather difficult to find any properties that people are willing to deal at at a reasonable price. Now, that may be changing. They may say, this is the time to do it, and valuations are going up. And we're always looking for the right properties, but again... We've got a, a big resource. We don't need exploration properties as much as we need production properties. I'm not saying we are not looking at some exploration plays, uh, but you know, it's clearly in the U.S. we're looking at staying in the U.S. We're not going to Africa. We're not going to lose Canada. There's enough companies there. We're, we're you know we're really going to stay in the U.S., in the Western U.S., where we understand the geology, we understand the mining issues. But, yeah, we are looking at things. Uh, And we've had talks with a number of companies about mergers and acquisitions, but they haven't gone anywhere. And whether they go somewhere in the future, we don't know. And we're always up for it. Whether somebody wants to buy out Western, we're willing to do that at the right price. Whether there's a company we merge with and become a controlling company. All those things are on the table, but I don't see anything... Uh, right now, in the next couple of months, that so we can announce, but you know, maybe a small deal that we might be able to get into, but nothing major. Simply because everybody is weaning. I don't. See, I, I think there's going to be consolidations in the in the industry. Certainly, you know, we've got a lot of little companies in this thing with some assets. What we need to do is we need to have bigger companies that have you know the capability of developing mines and mills, and I think that'll happen. As the uranium price goes up, back in the 70s and 80s, as you know, in the United States, when the U.S. was the largest producer, big mining companies were in the oil and gas companies were in the uranium business. Whether they come back in, of course, you know, there's pressure on their own gas companies to become green, and how more can you be green than having a uranium production center? I, I think it's possible that some of the big oil come back in the, the uranium business. It's a small sector compared to the oil and gas revenues, but so is solar and so is wind. So uh, that could be something that we see in the future, and that could be a source of substantial amount of money coming into this industry if and when it happens.
0: It's unfortunate that uh, people haven't been able to get together and actually do some of these deals that should have been done really 2016 through today. And even today, the values are are very still reasonable, splitting hair levels, really, to still be able to make deals. But, uh, you know, look, if people aren't amenable to doing deals, there's other ways to get these things done. Maybe not in a friendly manner, but nonetheless can get done if you have the right people, the right capital and the right strategy. So we'll see what happens there. So you can confirm definitely, though, there has been discussions. Uh, You guys have had discussions, but they haven't gone anywhere. That is the case today.
1: Yes, I, I can confirm. We've had discussions with a number of companies, a number of resource holders. It's, it's, it's ongoing. You know, you always have to be out there in front, trying to see what's going on, see if there's opportunities, and we've been doing that. And that takes a lot of my time between investors and those kind of things, you know, and operations. That's what I spend most of my time doing.
0: Yes, we have done that. How about? Uh plans to uplist the shares to the Toronto Venture Exchange, George? I know the Canadian Securities Exchange is okay, but the bottom line of it is, is it's, not, it's not the most desirable exchange in Canada. And Of course, the TSX is even better, but any plans to at least get listed on the Venture Exchange?
1: And that's a possibility. We've looked at that over the past few years. Probably the cost uh, didn't justify it, and our cash position didn't justify it, but that's something now uh, obviously, that we should consider, you know, and we are looking at that constantly and seeing if we can have a better trading you know, arrangement for our investors in the TSXV. Maybe, you know, we're very satisfied with the CSE. Uh, it's it's grown considerably. Obviously, it's it's probably not the TSXV yet, but uh, we haven't had nearly the comments on it that we used to have when we first released it there. Uh, but, you know, again, that's always something under consideration. Bear in mind, we keep a very limited staff, and, and the things we have to do administratively and comply with all the regulations takes a lot of our time. And, and a new listing would add work. Uh, with, you know, our CFO, Rob Klein, you know, basically handles all of our compliance issues as well as the financial things. So we, we keep a very limited staff. Obviously, we can do it through consultants. We could hire, and we do have counsel in uh, in Canada that's prepared to do that for us, but it's just spending some more money, and it's one of the things we want to spend money on is it's going to justify it, and maybe it is. Uh, Our share price has done well lately, as you know. even trading on the CSE, so I don't know if it would be a real benefit to shareholders quite yet. At some point, we probably would really seriously consider and maybe that's coming sooner rather than later but you know again with cash in the bank projects and schedules you know going we're going to have to decide what we do with our existing cash
0: you know obviously that's that's something we should consider and we will yeah george you guys need to do that you have a market cap of uh, around 80 million u.s you have the OTC listing, which is, I think, uh, a pretty high-level OTC listing, if I recall. Certainly, getting on the venture exchange makes a lot of sense for access. You guys expand the availability as well, and Rob certainly can do that. It, it's probably not too difficult for him to be able to do that. So, your guys' size, the point in time in this market, getting to the venture exchange is still you know, generally an entry exchange, and maybe there's a target in the long term you know, late stages in the cycle to get on the TSX. but.
1: uh... Good advice. I I listen to guys like you. You know, so that's good advice. Some of our investors tell me the same thing. Yeah, that's good advice. I'm always interested in what, you know, advice is out there on how to improve, you know, the arrangement for our investors. And so I appreciate the advice. And I will get Rob on to, you know, the details of considering this now that we've got our annuals file. We've got, of course, our AGM coming up in June. we we'll get that data out. We've got other things, you know, we've had the warrants It took a lot of his effort, you know, bringing in these warrants. So now he's kind of cleared his place so we can move maybe to the next projects. And this may be one we should move into. to. Thank you.
0: Well, I think you guys are of the size to easily be able to absorb that at this point, but I think it's time to go ahead and start making that move here. Well, George, you have a group of uh, investors. You kind of have a, a fan base on that side, and then you've also got some skeptics. Uh, some market participants and capital groups have pointed towards Western Uranium and Vanadium as being a company that may never sell uranium. What would you say to the skeptics out there, George?
1: Well, you know, I think a lot of the skeptics come out and blog against us are, are, are really not very knowledgeable. Most of a lot of these people are anti-nukes, anti-mining. If you really get down to it. Why they pick Western? You know, because I think they pick Western is we're close to production, and you know, you know that the anti's out there are to shut down mining, and so the companies are close to production are their targets. Now, anybody that basically looks at us, you, know, we, our information is public. We've got technical reports, we've got the mines open, we've got permits. And when they say, you know, this is what happened to us, say a year ago, when those per- permits were being challenged, and we won all those challenges, those permits are in excellent condition. Our share price suffered because of the bloggers coming out and saying, "There's no way they're going to mine." Well, we proved them wrong because the permits are in good shape. Uh, but again, why they why they came out so strongly, without even the knowledge of what you know how we were going to fight this and maintain those permits. You know, there that, that was a a a real challenge for us. But all along, we knew those permits were valid and would be staying in in, in valid uh, status. But again, the skeptics, you know, the skeptics on all these companies are skeptics, I've heard them on energy fuels. You know, unless maybe you're a chemical, I don't know if there's skeptics on chemical, but everybody's got their skeptics that says they can't do what we're saying they're going to do. We try not to overpromise. We try to say what we're going to do and do what we say. But again, they'll always be skeptics. Some of them will be reasonable and some of them will be just these ones that are trying to shut the industry down. We think most of our skeptics are on the ones that are trying to shut the industry down. You now, there may be some out there that you know, have reasons to We'd be happy to talk to them, but nobody calls me. None of these people call me to ask me questions. You know, it's interesting. My investors that want to know the facts call me, but the guys that, you know, blog against us, they never call me. They never try to get the information direct from the company. Not that I can give them anything that's not public, but again, if there's an explanation they need about public information, I'd be happy to talk to them, but they never call. They never
0: contact us. Well, George, potential investors are on the sidelines listening here. Market cap of the company stands about $80 million U.S. dollars. What would you say to them at this stage and at current price levels? Well, you know, I, I think the
1: current price level has, you know, has gone up substantially. Uh, the uranium price has not gone up. I think once we see that uranium price go up substantially, then you're going to see, you know, all, all the, the shares of all these public companies go up with it. You know, Energy Fuels has had a nice run. Uh, UEC. Uh UR Energy, all these US producers or potential producers, but I think the big run up in share prices is still ahead of us because uranium prices haven't come up. And the commodity price has to come up to justify the value of these companies. And you take a look at our company with a market cap of eighty million at thirty dollar uranium, uh, it's probably fairly valued. At sixty dollar uranium, is it fairly valued? Probably not. Uh, It it all depends on the commodity price, and with a low commodity price of $30, I think most of these companies probably have room to go when the uranium price goes up. And maybe they're valued fully
0: now at $30 uranium, but maybe not if it's $60 uranium. Best way for the investors to reach out to you and the company, George?
1: Yeah, our website, of course, my phone number is in there, my email address. Uh, I'm always open for calls or emails. I try to always answer them in a timely manner. So certainly reach out to me. I'm open to talking to all investors, whether they're big or small. Uh, it's one of the things that I spend a lot of my time doing and happy to do it. So my contacts are there, my phone number, my email. Uh, please contact me and let's, let's talk. be happy to talk to you anytime.
0: Well, George, really appreciate you taking the time again. Thanks for coming back on the program, and good luck over at Western, and we look forward to monitoring progress. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always good to, to talk with you, Andrew.